Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. I want to share a message with you this morning as we continue to work through the book of Genesis. We really just have a couple of more weeks left after this, two more sermons, uh, unless someone from above whose name is the Holy Spirit tells me otherwise. Uh, But we're going to look at today from Genesis 29 uh, a message that I have titled, The Value of the Vertical. Now, did y'all notice how last week I preached a very short sermon? Did you notice that? Okay, I was banking that for this week, all right? (laughs) Just so you know, uh, those of you at home, if you're watching online, I've also heard that if you turn the live stream off before it's done, that you get leprosy. That's just what I've heard. And I think that's in the book of Hezekiah, so you can look that up sometime. Uh, but uh, we, there's a lot of ground to cover, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to summarize as much as I can. But just some really valuable, tr- you know, Genesis has its feel of interesting, odd, bizarre, and downright crazy narratives. And today is an example of that, just a, a bizarre incident that the, the text records for us but it's one from which we can learn some valuable lessons. In fact, I believe that what we'll see today, this narrative that we study this morning, is going to reveal to us a longing that we all have and a longing that only God can satisfy. But before we get to the the text in this message, the value of the vertical, I hope that the title will become clearer to you as we move through our time this morning, we want to, to set the stage. Uh, you're, we've been talking about Abraham, and Abraham was that man, that older man whom God chose to start a nation, and God would use that man to birth a nation that would end up being a blessing to the entire world. Well, Abraham has a son whose name is Isaac, and Isaac ends up marrying, and Isaac has two sons, one whose name is Jacob, the other son's name is Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins separated by just a couple of minutes uh, from birth, but they could not be more different people. Esau, as we come to look at his life, we learn that Esau was kind of a man's man. Uh, Esau, he would be watching uh, Duck Dynasty all day long. Uh, he, He loved to hunt. He loved to fish. He loved to be out and doing those, what we think of as these, a man's man type of, of deal. He was, uh, he was a hairy guy as well. In fact, his name means red or hairy, uh, which I find it kind of odd that you would look in a baby book for names and look for one that means Harry and go, hey, let's name him this. Uh, We'll see why in a second, maybe. Uh, Jacob was the opposite of Esau. Jacob was a a very genteel man. He was uh, a very laid-back man. Uh, Esau was rough around the edges, and Jacob was not. In in fact, Jacob probably didn't wear white after Labor Day, okay? I mean, these guys are as opposite as they could could be. Jacob's name, by the way, literally translated in the Hebrew, means trickster or deceiver. So I'm not exactly sure what was going through the minds of their parents when you name one of your kids liar and the other one fuzzy. I don't know, but that is what they did. Well, Jacob and Esau, for all that they have that's opposite, they obviously have something in common in that they are, are brothers. And Isaac, their father, made it very clear that he 
preferred Esau over Jacob. This, of course, causes Jacob to have his feelings hurt, as you would understand, and it would make sense. And Jacob decides that he's going to, uh, to do something to try to gain what he feels he's lost through his father's, uh, dis- not really disavowing him, but his father's preference for the other son. Now, you see, the important thing to remember about uh, Esau is that he was the firstborn. And being the firstborn, that means that he has the birthright of the firstborn. That means that the majority of the possessions are going to go to Esau. The majority of land is going to go to Esau. Esau will be the one who has the right to brandish the family name because he is the firstborn. Well, Jacob devises a plan to steal that birthright from his brother Esau. Isaac, their dad, is getting old. He's getting up in years. He figures that his time to die is soon approaching. And so he calls Esau and he says, Esau, I want you to go out. I want you to hunt some food and I want you to make a stew. Come back. We'll have dinner and I'm going to confer the blessing on to you at that time. Well, Esau exits to do that. A little while later, Jacob sees his opportunity and Jacob slips into the narrative. Jacob brings a stew that's been prepared and to make himself seem like Esau, Jacob puts on Esau's clothes because there's apparently a quite a different scent between the two boys. And uh, he puts on the goat that was killed uh, for this stew. He, he gets the fur of that goat and he puts the fur on his arms and on his neck. That's a hairy dude right there. And and he goes in, and Esau and Jacob now, they're about to have a serious conflict because their father, Isaac, doesn't know that he's being duped. He can't see very well. Anyone's eyesight getting a little uh, less than what it used to be? And he said, the voice sounds like that of Jacob, but he feels like Esau, because he's got a 14 pounds of goat hair on his arms and his neck. And then what happens is that Isaac delivers the birthright, confers it, that was supposed to be for Esau, he confers it on Jacob. Now it's very important to understand at this point, Jacob has deceived his father and he has betrayed his brother. That's going to be important. Okay, he's deceived his father, and he has betrayed his brother. Esau comes back, and of course, Esau is furious when they find out that this has happened. And you say, well, why couldn't they just give back the birthright? That's not how birthrights work. There were no take backs in that day for birthrights. Once it was conferred, that blessing was conferred. And so Esau is furious. Esau says, I'm going to kill Jacob. And Jacob flees. He heads to a place called Haran, which is very, very far away. In Haran, he has relatives. These are the relatives you don't see except for at the family reunion once a year 
or if you skip it every other year, you only see them every now and then. Because at Haran, there lived a man by the name of Laban. Laban has two daughters. The name of one daughter is Rachel. The name of the other is Leah. Chapter 29 tells us that Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. In other words, Rachel was very nice looking in every way. Whatever weak eyes means, it's there to let us know that Leah, in comparison to Rachel, was not as nice looking or as beautiful. That's where we get to when we come to Genesis chapter 29. Look at the first few verses. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. Look at verse 3. It says, when the flocks, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds, plural, okay, not singular, plural, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So it took more than one. It was the shepherds coming together to roll this stone away. Let's look down uh, to verse 9, if you would. In, in verse 9, it says, while he, and that would be this would be Jacob. Well, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near, and Jacob rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his brother's mother. Genteel Jacob becomes Hulk Hogan. <clears throat> and y'all you know who Hulk was? Always, you know, eat your prayers, eat your prayers, eat your vitamins, say your prayers. Uh, Gentile Jacob turns into this really strong guy. He moves the stone away. Now, did you catch the relation there? That Rachel's dad is Jacob's uncle, which means that Rachel and Jacob are first cousins. Now, remember, this is Old Testament, so that relationship wasn't a deal breaker nor is it in some parts of the United States today. Uh, so I wasn't a deal breaker then, it's still not a deal breaker today. So Jacob says, look, I want to marry Rachel, and he is willing to give Laban seven years of hard labor as a payment for the privilege of marrying Rachel. And there's a verse stuck in Genesis chapter 29 that, that lets us know that he, he considered those years, but just a day. He was so in love with this woman. His seven years of work are done. He's ready for things to move forward. So chapter 29 and verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, the end of the seven years, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Let me pause here. And I thought all week of the best way to speak explain this among mixed company and young ears as well. The wording in the Hebrew lets us know that Jacob is excited about everything that marriage and a honeymoon involves. Everything. In fact, the way the Hebrew reads, it's about the only thing 
he is concerned with about wanting to have Rachel as his wife. It's written in a way to show us that Jacob, it's not just that he's infatuated with Rachel, Jacob is obsessed with Rachel. Now watch this. In this way, Jacob is a reflection of all of us. We look for satisfaction. We look for significance. We look for love. We look for value in horizontal relationships. But the only place we find it is in the vertical relationship. See, Jacob is looking for this in a horizontal relationship in more ways than one. But the only place he's going to find it is in a vertical relationship between himself and God. It's time for the wedding. Laban, and I promise I do have some points, and they're going to be really quick. They're going to summarize what we're talking about right now. It's time for the wedding. Laban brings his daughter down the aisle. She's wearing the traditional veil, which in their culture covers the face. The ceremony concludes. The honeymoon commences. And apparently, the honeymoon occurs in a darkened place because verse 25 tells us, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Behold, indeed. He thought he was marrying Rachel, and she's got the veil on, so he can't really tell. And again, I, I'm just using old Arkansas Mississippi logic. Uh, the honeymoon had to take place in the dark because it wasn't until the next day he looks over. It ain't Rachel, it's Leah. Now, I know you may have had some bad honeymoon experiences, but you ain't got nothing on this. Uh, we went on our honeymoon in, uh, to, to Georgia and uh, the state, not the country, and we might have should have gone to the country. The, the place we were supposed to stay, it had one of those notebooks where you write messages, and we'd been there maybe 10 minutes, and I wrote a simple message, R-U-N, and left it there, and we, we got out. Uh, I think it was a, the home of serial killers or something. Uh, but that has nothing to do with, or, or nothing to uh, even compare with what's going on it, with, with Rachel and with Jacob. And now all of a sudden, uh, you see that, that Jacob has been completely, completely duped. Now, let me summarize it real quick. Jacob goes back to Laban and says, Laban, what's up? And Laban says, well, it's just, it's not right. Listen to what Laban said. It's not right that the younger daughter be married before the first. So I want you to think about this. Jacob has been deceived by Laban and the argument that Laban uses to support his deception involves the rightful role of the firstborn daughter. What did Jacob do to his father and his brother? He lied to his father as Laban lied to him. And he stole his brother's birthright, which is the background for why Laban does what he does. I believe at this moment it's very possible and in all likelihood that Jacob is confronted with this reality and conviction is, it comes into his heart as he is brought face to face with who he is. 
but he's so obsessed with Rachel that he will do anything to marry her. And so he says to Laban, I'll work for you another seven years if you'll let me marry Rachel as a price for the privilege of marrying Rachel. And Laban says, okay, but this time Laban gives Rachel to him at the front end of the seven years. It's kind of like he married Leah unknowingly on the layaway plan, but he married Rachel on credit. Because he gets Rachel uh, ahead of time. And now Rachel and Leah, sisters, who are now married to the same guy, again, Jerry Springer-ish or Arkansas-ish, <laughs> have something going on and taking place. And I can say that because I'm from there. But now look at what happens. In Genesis 29, verses 31 and 32. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, obviously Rachel hated her sister because of this. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, God opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah can have children, Rachel cannot. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Reuben literally means in the Hebrew, see a son. See, I have a son. Leah names him that. Leah concludes, you know, I may not be as beautiful as Rachel, but Rachel can have children, and I can. Maybe this will make Jacob love me. She conceived again and bore a son. It didn't work, apparently, because in verse 33, she says about this son, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon sounds like the Hebrew word that means heard. It didn't work the first time, and so Leah now thinks uh, she's still unloved, but now she thinks maybe this time God has heard my prayers, and he's given me a son so that Jacob will love me. Verse 34, again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name shall be called Levi. Again, the, the, the names are or significant. In the Hebrew, the name Levi sounds like the word that means attached. That's why she says, my husband will be attached to me. It didn't work the first time. It didn't work the second time. She thinks maybe it will work the third time. And so as you notice, the, the heart problem of Leah is the same problem that Jacob has. Leah is searching for significance and value and meaning in a horizontal relationship relationship instead of a vertical one. She wants to be visible. She wants to be heard. She wants to be attached in her horizontal relationship with Jacob. And she thinks another horizontal relationship, having sons, will accomplish that. But every time she is left empty. So not only are we like Jacob, we are also like Leah. We keep having sons, thinking that it's going to solve the problem, but it always ends up the same way. There has to be a better way. Look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, this time, with this boy, this time, I will praise the Lord. 
Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Judah sounds like the Hebrew phrase that means praise the Lord. Don't, don't, don't miss something that is easy to miss if you just read over the text. Genesis uses two primary words when it talks about God. It uses God, G-O-D, which is Elohim, which simply means God is the all-powerful one. There's another word that's used for God in the Old Testament. It's Lord, L-O-R-D. And this is how she starts referring to God in this text. She calls him Lord. It's Yahweh. It is God's covenant name. And when she says that, when she uses that name, she is connecting her situation with the promises of blessing that God made with Abraham. That's where that name comes from. Leah uses the name of Yahweh. She names her last son. Praise to the God who has made a covenant with me, and she begins to choose to believe the promises of God. At this moment, Leah stopped trying to earn the love of Jacob through having sons, and she simply received the love that God had for her, given to her as a gift, his covenant, his promise, and that becomes the source of joy and praise in her life. And Leah has now gone through a remarkable transformation because catch this this son Judah he will become uh, the the head of an ancestry line and from him will come someone called the lion of the tribe of Judah Jesus Christ the Messiah will come from the lineage of a weak-eyed woman named Leah Leah's ancestry became infinitely beautiful not because she had some physical beauty that she passed on, but because of the gift of God. So let's take it all together, and I want to make real quick, and I do, I mean real quick, three statements to summarize the vertical relationship that we see in this text. First is this, what our hearts truly seek is only found in the vertical relationship. Every person has a part of Jacob in their spiritual and center DNA. Every person has some of Leah in them. We all seek significance, value, meaning, and purpose. And whether some, someone realizes it or not, when someone seeks those things, they are seeking a person, Jesus Christ. Both Jacob and Leah try to fill the void in their hearts through an idol that takes place in the horizontal realm. They try to fill that void with a wife and with sons. And that's the same thing that we tend to do. We try to fill the void in our life in the horizontal realm and it just doesn't happen we can't find significance and meaning and purpose and value in those idols see that's exactly what an idol is an idol is something that you use as a substitute for God it's not always a bad thing in fact it's usually not a bad thing it almost always is a good thing that you turn into a God thing so let me ask you this question what is it in your life that you don't feel like you can live without? What is that one essential thing that you need for happiness? If you will identify that, you will identify your idol or your idols. 
and your heart will never be truly satisfied until the vertical relationship between you and God is what God intended it to be. Second is this. Everything in the vertical relationship, everything is received, not achieved. Everything in your relationship with God. See, there are things that you have to earn in horizontal relationships. You break someone's trust, you've got to earn that back. In the vertical relationship with God, nothing can be achieved. It must be received. This is what Leah's experience teaches us, that in trying to earn or achieve a status or, or an experience that will only frustrate us, that will only discourage us. You see, the blessings of God are not given to people who earn it. The blessings of God are given to people who receive it. I'm going to repeat that for you again. Because you missed a really good amen part. Every blessing of God, the blessings of God are not given to people who earn it. They're given to people who just receive it. Who stop trying to earn it and they just receive it. Paul, in Paul's writings, he summarizes Jacob's life in Romans 9, 16 by saying this, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Your blessings are not in your life because you strive harder or do better than other people. God's favor is given to you to receive by faith in this vertical relationship we have with God. You have a heavenly Father who has set his love upon you just because your task is to receive it. Number three, the vertical relationship transforms every part of our lives. I I want you to listen to me real carefully. If you're here on site, put your eyes up here. If you're watching online, put your eyes on your screen to look up here because I want you to hear this without any distraction. God does not love you because you are beautiful. You are beautiful because God loves you. God does not love you because you are valuable. You are valuable because God has chosen to love you. God does not love you because you are holy. His love for you is what causes you to become holy. God doesn't love us because we are strong. We become strong through his love for us. God has placed his love on us unconditionally, and he is at work transforming us into who he wants us to be. And look, when we stumble, he will not discard us. When we stumble, he will not go into despair. Instead, when we stumble, God will develop us, and God is going to continue that process until the outside matches the beauty of Christ that he has placed on the inside. This is why John says, beloved, we are children of God now, 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. When we taught our children, when our children were learning how to walk, we didn't do much teaching except be there. In fact, about the only thing we did was to encourage them to walk, and then when they failed, to pick them up. Can you imagine, no, with neither of my children, I wouldn't do it with any of your children, if, if they're trying to learn to walk and they stumble, you don't go, you moron. You idiot, you only made it two steps and you fell down, doofus. You'll never learn. If you do that, then call me and we'll talk about that this week because have I got some verses for you? No, when our children stumble, we pick them up. And if we do that, we fall and human people do that. How much more so will God do it for us? When we stumble, when we fall, He doesn't discard us, He develops us. And when you grasp this reality, and when it sets up shop in your heart, you will be free from all the trappings of the horizontal relationships where you feel the need for someone else's approval because you will realize that in the vertical relationship, you already have the approval of God. And when that happens, oh when you come to that realization, like Leah did, your praise and your joy is not about how many sons you have or how Jacob will or will not love you or in how smart or successful or rich or popular or influential you are. Rather, your praise and your joy is based on the vertical relationship, your covenant relationship with God, and that will make you get your praise on regardless of what's going on in your life. And that relationship this morning at this moment is waiting for you to receive. I want to ask you this morning as we wrap up, have you received this gift that God wants to give you today to enter into this relationship with him? If that's something that you need to do, you can express that desire to God and you can receive that from God. It's, it's, it's a gift that does you no good unless you receive it. But if you receive it, it will do you a world of good. Not just for the here. In fact, maybe not so much for the here as it does for the hereafter. And if that would be your desire today, we encourage you to make that decision for Jesus to cry out to him, to ask him to be your savior, to confess your sins to him, to believe in Jesus today. Not that he was just a person who walked the earth, but to believe that he lived a life you could never live and died a death you should have died so that you can have a relationship with him. There may be other decisions you need to make. I don't know what God's placing upon your heart, but I know that the next step that you need to take needs to be taken. And we want to come alongside you and help you take those next steps. If you're here visiting our campus, you can find in the pew a yellow card that talks about your next step. And you can indicate what next step you need to take. 
And then when you leave today, just drop that in the box as you walk out, and we'll follow up with you this week. If you're watching with us at home, or if you'd prefer to do that online, you can go to fbcmilton.org decision. Just go to our home webpage, fbcmilton.org. You'll see a logo on there, a, a link to click about your next step, your decision. You can let us know what that decision is, and we'll be glad to come alongside you and provide you with the resources so you can be who God has called you to be. The vertical relationship, hey, horizontal relationships are great. The vertical relationship is the only one that's going to last for eternity. And what a shame it would be to have a million horizontal relationships but not have the one vertical relationship that matters. There's value in the vertical, and Jesus is waiting to give that to you today. Before we end our time together in just a moment, we'll have our benediction prayer. And after that prayer, you'll be dismissed. If you brought your offering today, you can drop that offer in the, in the box on the way out. Guest, if you filled out that uh, Connect card, you can drop that in the box. Again, the next step, your, your next step card, your decision, you can let us know that. Just drop it in, in the box, and we'll collect those, and we'll, we'll follow up with you. We'll get to know you a little bit better. But know that between now and then, our plan this coming Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we'll hope that you'll be in your place as we provide Bible study across our campus for all age groups, and we'll look to gather again for worship next Sunday morning at 1030. Again, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online, and if we can ever minister to you or serve you in any way, by all means, please let us know. Mr. Greg Gillis is going to come, and he's going to deliver our benediction, and after he finishes, we will be dismissed.